Welcome to the BT Focus podcast dedicated to the behavior technician experience and the delivery of ABA services. Hello and welcome back to the BT Focus podcast. I'm Brian Kaminsky and today I'm joined again by Mr. Daniel Jones. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. Well, happy to have you back, Dan, and I'm excited for our conversation this morning. Today, we are going to be talking about our April core value that's going to be shared across all of our team meetings across the country, and it's on our core value of relationship-oriented. So as I was preparing for this podcast and thinking about what that core value meant to me, there's so many different directions we can take this, right? Because in the field of ABA, relationships are everything, right? I think so many of us got into the field because of our value of those interpersonal relationships and how that relates across really all facets of our work, right? From across our clients and our families to our supervisors or supervisees to other members of the organization. Relationships are pretty critical, aren't they, Dan? They're extremely critical. And I remember when I was young and also when I was first looking for a relationship, one of the things that I had identified that was very important for me when it came to relationship-oriented values was commitment. Commitment was, was a big thing that my dad taught me and that also it's something that I wanted out of my relationship. And this also kind of seeped over into the families that I've worked with in the past, families that I work with now, and even other team members and other individuals within the company. And commitment is something huge for me. So I agree. Relationships really are important and they seep into every facet of our life, no matter how hard we try to not let that let that happen or let it happen. Yeah. Well said, Dan. And like anything, as behavior analysts, we love to start off with definitions. So I, I wanted to start off with what are some behaviors that are in line with the, the core value of relationship-oriented? And we'll unpack each. So here are a couple with respect to relationship-oriented. One is that we are relatable. We strive to be relatable to the families that we serve, for the team members that we work with. And uh, along with that, having strong interpersonal skills. Before we started recording, Dan, we were just talking about the experience that we've had with supervisors over the years and what the best supervisors had. And to me, it really often would boil down to their interpersonal skills, right? We were sharing some experiences of some brilliant clinicians that we've worked with that knew their stuff, so to speak, right? Like they were just really sound in all of the principles of behavior and its applications. But I've worked with some where maybe some of those interpersonal skills were lacking and it really impacted uh, the course of therapy, right? They weren't as effective. So I want to talk about today some really helpful tips of how we can be more effective and how we can more embody that core value of relationship-oriented through the development of these important interpersonal skills. Anything you want to add to that? I completely agree with that. We're just talking specifically about some supervisors that had supported us very well when it came to those interpersonal skills and some of those supervisors that have not. And it's important that you get experiences from both because life isn't always perfect. And there, there are going to be situations where you're going to have to respond to great interpersonal skills and not so great interpersonal skills. But again, as humans, we want to strive or we want to be around individuals that have those great interpersonal skills. Like, for example, Brian, for you, when I first interacted with you, I really saw those great interpersonal skills come out. And so I was like, you know what? 
like I have to pursue this work relationship with Brian and be on his team because he's something that I strive to be when it comes to having those interpersonal skills. And so I think it's important uh, for us to experience both. Yeah. Well, first I want to say thank you for those kind words, Dan, and right, and right back at you. And uh, thinking about this core value, I was reflecting on the words of one of our clinical summit speakers that we had uh, about a year or so ago, Brett DeNovi, and he's a really great public speaker in the behavior analyst community. And he had this phrase that I'll always carry with me when it comes to our work with um, our families. And the way you put it is, we are dealing with people's most treasured assets. Like, let that sink in. Like, we are working with people's most treasured assets. I'm a parent. I've got three young kids. Those little people are my most treasured assets, right? So the people in their circles, those relationships that we develop are, are critical in that. So I want to go into some more discussion around those interpersonal skills and how we can use them in our work with people's most treasured assets. So let's jump right in. All right. So when I was thinking about preparing for this podcast, I was reflecting on a great book that I read when I was in grad school, and it's by Dale Carnegie. This book was written in the 30s, Dan. So this is this is what some might call a classic, and it's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast to check that book out. It's really easy to read. It's so relatable, and it gives what I love most about it is it gives incredible practical tips that you can take away and use immediately. Our science is about influencing people in a positive way to improve their lives. So I'm going to not go through all of it. This is just a very high level overview of some of the tips that Dale Carnegie outlines in the book. And I think it relates perfectly to our core value of relationship oriented. Ready to get started? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. So he shares, here's some practical ways, Dan, to make people like you more. You want to pair with somebody. You want to be somebody that uh, you want to be around, right? Think about the, the best supervisors I had. Their attention was very reinforcing for me. And that should be the goal, right, for all of us. So here's, here's a couple practical tips. So Dan, here's one. Become genuinely interested in other people. As he puts it, you can make more friends in two months by being interested in them than in two years by making them interested in you. So I think about that to our pairing process and the start of therapy, right? As we're developing those relationships with our, our clients. But we're not just pairing with the clients. We're pairing with all members of that treatment team. We're pairing with the family. We're pairing with our supervisors. And getting to know the interests of others is a great way to develop those relationships. Would you agree? I completely agree. And one of the important qualities to have in that situation is to be an active listener. If you are listening exactly what the family is saying to you and you're digesting that, and then you're regurgitating that in a way that the family knows that you are listening to them, that would make your bond with them a lot stronger. So I completely agree with that. Yeah. Active listening is a core theme that runs through all of these, Dan. I would completely agree with you. All right. Are you ready for this next one? This is a big one. Ready. Let's brace for it. It's important. You ready? I got it. Number two, smile. <laughs> I can see you got this one right on the nose already. It's funny, but it's huge, right? As Jenna put it in one of our last roundtables, she likes to strive to be pleasant and present, right? Just the effect that has of, of having that positive attitude, it goes miles. Being present in the moment with that sort of attitude is incredible. Completely. Yep. Next one, I, I love this one. I think it's actually very behavior analytic and I'll unpack in a second is uh, remember that a person's name 
is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. As he puts it, the average person is more interested in their own name and in all other names in the world put together. And so I think about this for a couple of different ways, right? So whenever I start working with a new family, one thing that I'm extremely mindful of before I enter that home is what's everyone's name? It's very basic, but it's huge. What's the mother and father's name? What's the caregiver's name? What's the child's name? Are there siblings in the home, right? Taking the time to develop those relationships as simple as knowing someone's name and preferred name is huge. I also think about it in terms of delivery of reinforcement and how we're providing instructions. One of the things that often we'll share in training is it's important to always use that child's name in the the reinforcement context, like, great job, Dan, you're doing amazing, as opposed to in the form of an instruction. So Dan, do this, Dan, do that. Because we want that name to be always paired with positive reinforcement and not the signal of an uh, incoming demand. So I think Dale hits it right on the head. That name is the sweetest sound in somebody's language. And I think it's really uh, consistent with a lot of behavioral principles as well. Completely. And I think that Dale, I have yet to read the book. I plan to. But I think also Dale is focusing on not one large event that is making such a big change, but a whole bunch of small events that are making a big change. And with names, knowing someone's name, that's extremely important, as you had said, Brian, to deliver any type of reinforcement or just to get their attention. And I know I start all of my training classes with name introductions, and some of the times I butcher the names, but to be honest, I'm still trying. So I'm present and I'm showing that I care. So in that situation with someone's name, because for me, like I've had to learn this skill, someone will give me their name and I will be like, it's gone two minutes later. <laughs> so, so to keep their name, I'll rhyme it with something. I've actually implemented this in my life as well, where I'll introduce myself by Dan the man, because people remember my name and names are really, really important. That's so funny. Yeah, definitely. There's like some stimulus control, right? I've got about 40 different nicknames for my kids. I rarely do I ever call them by their first name. Maybe like 10% <laughs> of the time I call my kids by their given first names, but that's great, Dan. And I was thinking oftentimes with this book, there'll be associated workshops and some really great things which I'll link in our show notes and just a really great strategy when it comes to remembering people's names. Like I'm great with faces. I'm be honest. I joke around. It takes me like getting somebody's name wrong three times usually before I get it correct. So my trials or criterion is usually around three or four, but it's as simple as this. When you're meeting somebody for the first time, you're introducing yourselves. Hi, my name is Brian. What's your name? Dan. Hi, Dan. It's nice to meet you. And immediately stating that person's name after the introduction, just that act of stating somebody's name often will help it stick just a little bit more. Good practical tip there. I love it. All right. Next one. And and this one you already shared earlier, Dan. Be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. As he puts it, the easiest way to become a good conversationalist is to become a good listener. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on with respect to that is Oftentimes, when you're working with families, a a parent might come to you and they want to share something with you. And we in the field often are are really, really great problem solvers. So somebody comes to us, they share something with us, and we automatically want to jump right into the solution, right? As a parent now, sometimes I, I just want to be heard. And I think just simply the act of listening is so huge. 
And it's something that I have to like be remindful of like when I'm you know talking to my spouse. It's like I'm talking to my wife and she's sharing something with me and I want to jump right into what I think might be the solution. And sometimes it's like, all right, just hold it, Brian. Like, listen. And once that, that is over, then you can continue that conversation. So uh, yeah, active listening is huge. What do you think, Dan? Completely. My biggest flaw and identifying your flaws is important because then you can work on them. If you don't repair them, then you won't replace them. And for me, when I had uh, first transitioned into adulthood, and it was, I mean, quite late for me, but I found myself thinking about a reply or a retort while the individual was still talking to me or explaining the situation. And that was an issue because I wasn't active listening to them. So I had to physically ground myself and stop myself before I could actually finish an active listening conversation and then give a reply. So this will help you in all relationships as well, not just your work relationships, but if you're actively listening to somebody and if you're writing things down, it's important because you can go back and you can look at those things and you can learn from those things because there's, there's something that you can learn from everybody. And that's what's, that's what's beautiful about humans. And that's what's beautiful about working with our kiddos. And if you don't mind, I'll give an example as well. So everyone knows, especially in my trainings, that I love Mario Kart. And they just released a phone game of Mario Kart. And so uh, I was uh, having a, a reinforcing schedule with one of my clients and we were doing Mario Kart. And my client showed me something in the game that I hadn't seen before. And I just looked at them and I was like, man, that's crazy. Like you're learning so much. So I completely agree with you. I think in that situation, like just active listening to somebody or actively paying attention is important. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, I mean, it's a classic, right? So can I ask, who's your character in Mario Kart? Who do you, who's your go-to? Who's my go-to? Well, so the they released a whole bunch of new characters when it came to the mobile version of it. But I mean, I got to go with Bowser. Oh, I, Bowser. I know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The Bowser shell is amazing. <laughs> what I've about you? I've always been more of a Yoshi guy, like the good like speed to weight ratio, right? We can go deep dive into Mario Kart. That could maybe be its whole <laughs> whole another episode. Yeah. Or I can get you hooked on the mobile game. Okay. There we go. I'll take on we'll your recommendations, Dan. That sounds awesome. Great. Okay, so to transition a bit, so those were just a couple of great strategies of of how to be more likable, for lack of better words, right? Be a good listener smile and really engage in that conversation. Here are some great tips that he goes on to share of how to influence people into the, your way of thinking. And so again, as behavior analysts in the field of ABA, our goal is oftentimes going to be to influence people to engage in, in new behaviors, to promote positive behaviors, and to shift a lot of the things that they may be accustomed to. And so here's a great one. And I think it relates especially well to supervision. And it's show respect for other people's opinion. Never say you're wrong, right? I hear a lot. It's more important to make I statements than you statements. So, hey, Dan, I noticed that you did X, Y, or Z wrong, right? What does that do? Is that always effective? No, oftentimes I've found it puts people on the defense and then they're not as active of a listener. And it sometimes can derail the conversation before it starts. So... Uh, to rephrase it, you could say, hey, I found for me, it's most helpful when I approach it this way. What do you think? 
And now I'm, I'm engaging that person in the conversation and they're no longer on the defense. Now they're part of that active problem solving. He goes on to state, and I love this expression, a drop of honey can catch more flies than a gallon of gall or vinegar. And what he means by that is positive reinforcement is going to be a whole lot more <laughs> effective than punishment, right? We are in a service industry, whether we realize it or not. And I think about this all the time and I'm going out to eat. Remember that, Dan, when we could go out to eat? Yeah. And, and how people relate to people that are in the service industry, industry. And I've found, be so respectful to your servers, right? It irks me to no end to see people rude to people in those public settings. And when you're respectful, people are going to go above and beyond to be of service to you. And I think that's so relatable to our work as well. So to recap, start with I statements, and it's often better than being more direct to say, nah, you're wrong. Anything you want to add to that, Dan? I completely agree with that. I mean, because nobody likes to hear that they're doing something wrong or that they're wrong in general. If you're starting a conversation that way, immediately the person's turned off. They're not active listening. Instead, they're focusing more on like, wow, this individual just wrecked my world. Like they told me that everything that I'm doing is wrong. And we were talking earlier before we had started recording this podcast about my, one of my first EAs. And I remember she was an outstanding ABA behaviorese individual where she could literally just pull out textbook information about ABA. And I learned so much from her when it came to prompting sequences and DTT trials and everything in regards to ABA. But her interpersonal skills and the way that she would tell me or correct me when I was doing something wrong was just completely off. And I remember one day she had come to me and she was like, another technician has told me that when I give feedback, I come off as very negative and strong. What do you think? And as soon as, like, as, soon as you had said that, Brian, and uh, it, I had this memory was recalled and I looked at her and I was like, great, I'm a part of this solution now. And I said, yes, it is. I would prefer that you model or that you come in and teach me compared to just telling me specifically, everything you're doing is wrong. Try it again. So that taught me a way not only to be a part of the solution, but also to be a great teacher when I'm teaching other individuals or when I'm in therapy with a kiddo to have that kiddo be a part of my solution or have the trainees that I'm teaching be a part of the solution instead of just telling them like, nope, you're wrong, try again. Yeah. So I think that completely agree with you, Brian. I think that it's a really important skill to have when it comes to interpersonal behavior. Just don't yeah. tell people that you're wrong. Use the I statements. Yeah. And I love that example, Dan, because we're not asking for perfection or asking for growth, right? So the fact that that supervisor that maybe had some deficits in some of those interpersonal dimensions, to their credit, they came to you and solicited feedback. And to me, that's a, a sign of a really great leader. It's somebody that's mm -hmm. willing to admit their mistakes and to, to learn from them. And that's actually a, a perfect transition into our, our next way to help influence people to our way of thinking is, if you're wrong, admit it quickly and empathetically. And a lot of times, and it's kind of a paradox, because I think some people might view admitting that they're wrong as a sign of weakness. I view it as the exact opposite. It earns so much credibility and respect to me for someone to say, you know what, I handled that poorly, 
or I was reflecting on that and I would have done that differently. Again, going back to those supervisors that we had, we think of those amazing supervisors we've had in our life. And those were the ones that say, hey, you know what? I tried this before. Here's some areas that I struggled with when I was doing this you know, intervention or this program. And let's use it as a learning opportunity. And it's something that I really strive towards to be very open about times where I've, I've made mistakes because that's just a great learning opportunity that could be wasted if you are really more prideful or maybe it's stuck in your ways of, I don't want to admit that I made a mistake because maybe I'll lose credibility. It's the exact opposite in my opinion. Completely. And also it's how you respond to it, as you had pointed out. I mean, life happens very fast. And especially when you're in a setting that you're uncomfortable, say, for example, if you're a new behavior technician, when you're going to the home for the first time, there's a lot of stimuli happening at once. You most likely will make a mistake. And trying to cover up that mistake or trying to change that mistake, you're already living in the past. It's already happened. You need to learn how to respond to it and move on from it and learn from it. Probably the most important thing in that situation is admitting a mistake and also learning from it. And I I like this one because it also was something that I struggled with. Like I was seeking that perfection. I was kind of inhibiting myself because I was afraid of making a mistake. And that fear and fear mongering actually prevented me from doing a lot of things in my life that I'm doing now that makes me a lot happier. And this is so much easier said than done, um, but you have to go out and practice it. And Thankfully, this job and this opportunity has given me that practice that I need. And so I think it's really important, as you had stated, Brian, to admit that you're wrong, learn from it, and respond to it in in a way that's empathetic. Absolutely. Yeah, I was listening to another podcast recently. I think it was Bill Gates. He was like the guest. He made this point of, to your point of like imperfection and fear of mistakes or failure. The way you put it is like, if you're, if you're not failing regularly, you're not trying hard enough. You're not challenging yourself enough. You made the point of saying like, I try to do things routinely that I'm going to fail at. So I can't remember the exact example of what it was. Sometimes people, the fear of failure prevents people from starting and we can only behave in the present and we have to start somewhere. And both of us, we've been in the field for many years and we'll be the first to admit there is so much, Dan, that has, is yet to be learned. And I know that you and I really welcome that opportunity. So Excellent. Well, just a couple more, Dan, and I I love the direction of this conversation. I think we're hitting on some really important topics. Here's another way that you can help influence people to your way of thinking. Let the other person feel the idea is his or hers. So let me go on to share. The way that I view this is is include people in decision-making. As a supervisor, I've come at it from both dimensions. As a behavior technician, now as a clinical supervisor, where an intervention needs to be put into place. And I found the most effective ones are ones that involve some collaboration. It's not just, hey, here's my decision from on high that we're going to put in place and you better do it this way or else. It's, hey, Dan, like, what are you seeing in your sessions? Here's what I'm thinking, but what are your thoughts? And that allows it to go from just compliance and rote responding to more dynamic communication and more effective interventions because we've taken all parties into account. What are your thoughts on that? Completely agree with that. I think one of my most favorite supervising clinicians did this exactly where she would come in and she would specifically tell me like, okay, what's going on? What have you seen this week? Give me a debriefing. Then I would give her the debriefing and then she'd be like, hmm, why do you think that's happening? And I would be like, okay, I know you know why it's happening, but you're asking me. So, and it never actually came off as a uh, feeling like a test either because she made it so 
interpersonal. She was just so relatable. And she, I fa also found that this supervising clinician laughed more than any other supervising clinician that I had. And so she was just always happy, bubbly coming in, like that kind of atmosphere environment that she set forth was important as well when it came to interacting with her and when it came to her helping me be more uh, uh, independent. And I felt in control. I felt comfortable. I felt that if I needed to, I could go to them for support. I completely agree with the statement as well. And I think it's, it's a good one because it does influence people and influences everyone around you. If you're autonomous and you're secure, that's going to kind of seep out into the family that you're working with. And when you go down and you do a debriefing with them, they'll look at you and be like, yeah, he knows, he knows what he's talking about. And you're like, I do know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> it's great. So it, yeah. it always comes from that support. Sure. No, that, that's fantastic. I completely agree with you, Dan. All right. Well, as we wrap this up, there's one more point that Adil makes that I want to share, and then we'll kind of conclude this conversation for today. And this one, I think, kind of goes full circle to our conversation of values. And it's appeal to someone's more noble motives, appeal to someone's values. And especially when we're trying to influence behavior and put in place strategies that, let's be honest, can be difficult at times when working with a parent and teaching them a new intervention that maybe they're going to put into place at home for the first time, being able to appeal to them and say, I know this is hard and this will be hard, but I know how much you value your child and how you want the best for him or her. And with that alignment and values, it allows us to do and accomplish hard things and important things. Uh, a point that we made in our last discussion is that Values are not feelings. We can hold something as a value and move in the direction of something while noticing the fact that maybe we're having difficult feelings at the time. But provided that our behaviors are aligned with our values, only good things can happen in the long run. So appealing to someone's higher motives, getting to know the values of other people and, and how our interactions with them can relate to their values, I think is a recipe for success. Completely agree. And it recalls uh, a memory that I had of working with a client where we were running AIMS. And it was something that we identified with the client was the client's values. And while I was running those values with the client, I was also identifying my values. And then after that, you have that committed action. So like you had said, they're not feelings. These values are an action. They're something that you put in place. They're something that you practice on a continual basis. And I highly encourage you, if you do not know your values, to search out your values, write them down so you know who you are, because that'll help you find your, your compass in life and it'll guide you in a way that will make you more comfortable with yourself. Excellent. Yeah, so well said, Dan. And I think this was just a tremendous conversation in the work that we do that is built upon relationships. So as this uh, core value gets discussed um, amongst our teams this month, I encourage our listeners to reflect on our values, reflect on how do we want to treat others? What are we going to put forth out into the world? And, and how do we want that to influence the way that's received in return? So Dan, thank you as always. I, I really appreciate your time and your experiences. And I look forward to very much our next conversation. Of course, Brian. Again, thank you for having me here. Take care. All right. Hi, BT Focus listeners. 
Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Now, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at our Google Voice account at 248-215-2464 if you have any thoughts, ideas, or questions. You may even hear them on the air. Or drop us a message at btfocus at centriahealthcare.com. Until next time.